Welcome, listeners, to another Arcade Attack podcast. Uh, this is Dylan, and I'm all on my own. Yep, boys on here today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, it's something I've been thinking of doing for a while, actually. Um, a few of you will know that I've got a slightly unhealthy obsession with a certain game called Rise of the Robots. Now, Rise of the Robots has been through the mill let's say, for the last 30 years or so. And it doesn't even divide opinion, really. It Basically, there's everyone that hates it, and then there's me. Uh, when I got it on the A1200, it just blew me away, just the graphics mostly, and then I just didn't pay attention to anything else. You know, I just didn't know that my Amiga could do such things. Um, and yeah, and it was actually, I remember the, the Christmas I got it, and I just played it solidly. And I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. Uh, in retrospect, it's not aged well. Uh, <laughs> I'll still have a bash on it every now and then. Uh, I even picked up the SNES version the other day for about £6. So that was a bit of a bargain. But bearing all of this in mind, Adrian kindly got me what something that I didn't even know existed. It is Rise of the, Robo- Rise of the Robots. Rob's back in the room. Now, Rise of the Robots, the novel, by Jim Murdoch. So, at the time that the game was conceived, uh, Jim here was given the task of writing a novel to go with it. And it's fairly chunky. Um, you know, it's good, there's a good inch of book here. Uh, I'll try and put some pictures up, uh, either on the, the socials or, or the website, just so, you can, uh, just so you guys can see it. But, you know, it's got the, the front cover, looks very much like the box, and, you know, I've just been sort of sitting on it for a while, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I could sort of read it, maybe do a uh, review of it, but you know what? Why don't I read you guys as much of it as I can in the next hour, uh, and then we'll see where we go. So, uh, let's see, it's still in the, um, the cling film that the eBayer, that Adrian approached or I don't know, putting a bid of £1 million or whatever to get this. Uh, it's covered in, so let's just get all of this off. Nope. Here we go. And then, oh, here we go. There's actually a packing slip in the middle as well. Wow, this has come all the way from the States. This is very strange. Wow. So this book has found its way from England, in which it was printed, all the way to... Bell, California. So, wow, that really is something. Uh, cheers, mate. This is uh, real nice. So, uh, I know everyone loves a good back of the box, back of the book. Here's the, here's the back of the book. All right, are, are you all paying attention? All right, here we go. Metropolis 4 Security Update. Friday, new June 1st, 2012. Heavy atmospheric contamination. Lorus depression. Storm conditions. No upload possible from Craft L6. All contact lost. Repeat. All contact lost. Coton. C-O-T-O-N? Cotton? It won't be cotton. Nah, it's gotta be Coton. Coton was the service's best decrypt man. Field ops was definitely not his scene. When it was all over, they picked up the pieces and brought them back to Metropolis 4. They turned Coton into the planet's first human-brained biomechanical cyborg, and then they put him to work. 
for on 4th Millennium T1 Creeda, the robots are in revolt, controlled by the faceless female supervisor, droids all across the planet break their routines. From high in the sealed Electrocorp Tower, she issues the ultimate threat. Only Coton can stop her, unless he decides to get his own body back first. Rise of the Robots, a novelization based on the groundbreaking computer and video game Rise of the Robots from Mirage. I mean, it certainly was groundbreaking. Uh, whether it was any good, uh, we'll still keep banging around that question. Um, but yeah, so there we go. Um, so if you want to keep listening, please do. If you think this is a terrible idea, <laughs> please tweet us, Facebook us, all of that jazz. But yeah, uh, those of you who want a bit of a uh, the audio book of Rise of the Robots, uh, enjoy. Chapter 1. Metropolis 4 security services occupy the tallest building in the heart of Central 1. The massive flagstaff structure strove into the dull haze that hung over the city. Its rotating aerofoil command floors cruised silently round the central column, brushing in and out of the mist. Command floor 3 hummed with routine monitoring activity. It was early evening. Friday, new June 1st, 3012. The floor commandant, commandant even, Piaget was making his way across the walkway between the comms monitoring banks, heading back to his desk up on the mezzanine in the glazed bow section of the department. He'd had a hell of a week. His teams had logged an unprecedented increase in illegal transmissions, and the senior staff assembly which he'd just left had all but carpeted him for not coming up with conclusive source and solution action. He had mobile units all over the city and into the wastelands, but had gained no significant intelligence. These latest insurrectionist transmissions were operating under a new generation comms code, making their content impenetrable to this decrypt team. As he walked past Kramer, section leader of mobile units, he caught the end of a voice link with Lander 6 out in the wastelands. He bellowed to the surprised SI, his message also unmistakably for the rest of the section. Tell those guys not to bother coming home until they've got something to justify their pay credits. They reckon they might have something for us, sir, Kramer replied promptly. But they're having problems uploading the data. Coton is going to try it when they've cleared New Mines Ridge and they've got better topography. What's Coden doing out there? He was supposed to be with decryption all this week. I believe he was there until this morning, sir. Then he wanted... Well, he decided he wanted to get nearer to the new transmission source we'd found. He's with Walker. You don't need to worry, sir. Kramer smiled at the reassurance he'd just given the Commandant. I need to worry, and I consider your recommendations to be a Section 1 impertinence, Kramer. 
Do your job and keep your assertions to yourself, or I'll have you back on the screens. Piaget strode off, his thoughts now back on the assembly. The open treads of the metal stairs up to the management mez trembled as the heavy man powered towards his workstation. Piaget swung himself round the final 180-degree turn and crested the flight. Over at his station, he could already see his email icon flashing up on the screen. More crap to sort out. He was vocalising his thoughts. Stress counselling session one. Spot the signs. Sitting at his station, Piaget took a long, deep breath and swung round in his chair to take a look over the city. He needed to chill a little before he started the next chapter of Hassel. Friday evening was breaking out over Metropolis 4. Piaget glanced at his watch and noted it was already 7.30. He could see the Wonder theme park over near his home in West Central 3. Strobes and holo projectors beamed up the evening's theme, but he couldn't make out what was on tonight. After all, he was at almost the same altitude as the focus plane for the projectors, and from this shallow angle they lit the haze like pools of coloured mercury. He thought of his son pestering his mother to take him along. Command Floor 2 came cruising round the central mast and obscured, and obscured his view. Logistics, planning and bad aircon. They also said that CF2 vibrated like hell, though he'd never noticed it. And if any of the wings were going to fly off the big mixer, then CF2 was candidate number one. Piaget screwed back around to his desk and winked at the email icon. The cube shattered with a sample popping noise and he read the news. The menu displayed all the usual stuff. Exec assembly minutes, staff productivity codings and field activity reports. He muttered FTA to the machine and scanned the list for Lander 6's bulletin. He followed the log of reports down to the point where Coton had made his positive ID on a suspected insurrectionist transmission. The location was the Lorist Depression, about 250 k's out from the National Minerals site over the New Mines Ridge. That put the source about 300 k's from M4 itself. It seemed a long way out for the regular antisocial elements to be operating. The Aziz were not normally so mobile, he pondered. It could be a group from M2. Some further 100 k's to the north, Piaget winked at the last voice link box and listened to the transmission. Coton's voice came through on what was obviously a messy comms link. The Loris depression was notorious for bouncing signals all over the place. Fix made on transmission 632, high power signal, radio, VHF, and a loud crack interrupted the communication. Am decrypting and loading to sat link. The transmission broke completely in a blast of static. Piaget leaned back from the terminal, grimacing at the noise. Then the message continued, almost completely jammed. Upload. Not. Possible. Heavy mineral. Atmospheric. Contamination. Breaking. Sat link. Losing all comms. Will retry nearer home. Expect transmission. The message cut off. Dead. Piaget noted the time entry. 1915. It was now 1945. 
7.45pm for people who don't know 24-hour clocks. And there was no further news. He rose from his station and walked to the mezzanine rail from where he could see Kramer leaning back in his chair and looking down his nose at the master comms terminal. Piaget bleeped the signal leader on his portable and watched him jerk back to answer his call. Anything from Coton, Kramer? Nothing at all, sir. Met reports heavy weather in the lo- in the Loris area. Pretty well all air links are down. Okay, Kramer. I'll be leaving in half an hour. Let me know as soon as you get something. If it's after 2015, reach me in my mobile. Very good, sir. Piaget returned to his station and flicked off his display. Turning back to the view of the city, he watched the auto-wash trigger across the massive expanse of glass, thin rivers of sandy water scrambling over the curvature. Beyond the rim of M4, the western horizon was a blank, bright orange. By 8.15, Piaget was somewhat happier. He had rebooted his terminal and completed his action returns and he had found another message on his email informing him that he had succeeded in being selected for Stage 2 Executive Selection, a staff ranking that would finally get him out of this nitty-gritty routine and get him an apartment in Sunnyside, upwind of the city centre. The city below was now well illuminated, tracks of light splayed out from under the tower, Here in the centre of M4, the tree-lined boulevards moderated the hard edges of the root system and the city looked quite inviting, like somewhere in the movies a thousand years ago. Distance lends lends enchantment to the view, Piaget muttered to himself, quite proud of his spontaneous lyricism and this evidence of his culturedness. As he descended to the walkway above the monitoring floor, he searched for Kramer at his terminal, but saw only an empty chair and his screen in secure mode. Anybody know where Kramer is? The commandant barked at the two duty staffers at the far end of the row of comms terminals. Their blank expressions were answer enough, and Piaget did not even wait for a reply. Making a mental note to check their SL's productivity code first thing Monday, he set off a pace in the direction of the mess room, bursting through the air screen into the mess reception. Piaget wheeled around and scanned the login table. Can I help you, sir? The duty monkey had come up behind the commandant and caught him unawares. Kramer, muttered the fluttered officer. Have you seen Kramer in here in the last half hour? No, sir, he's not logged in, and I certainly haven't seen him. Right, duty staffer. Put a bar on anyone else from comms monitoring coming in here. And if you see Kramer, tell him I want to see him immediately. I'll be in Met Central, floor five, and relay that order to comms. Very good, sir. The duty monkey turned smartly and headed for the internal information panel. Piaget was actually impressed. A duty monkey acting like a serviceman. What's your name, duty staffer? not pausing in the in his attention to the panel. The monkey replied, Landucci, sir. Very good, Landucci. Carry on. The commandant turned out of the mess room and marched briskly along to the elevator bay. Pushing past a crowd of end-of-shift operatives, he thrust his priority card into the slot, 
gaining some satisfaction from the barely audible groan that his action aroused. This group would probably lose at least half an hour of their Friday evening now that Piaget had commandeered one of the six already overworked main tower elevators. The prioritised elevator, somewhere down around the 50th floor, had now stopped, no doubt disgorging another squash of disgruntled occupants. Heralded by a racing floor indicator and a piping alarm, the elevator presented itself for Piaget's disposal. The commandant stepped in, turning to smile at the dismayed faces as the doors hissed shut. The elevator dragged on Piaget's stomach as the priority mode acceleration took the big man by surprise, and he rocked back and caught hold of the rail around the polished cylindrical capsule. He remembered that he hadn't eaten for six hours. The thought did not mitigate his brooding annoyance at the absent Kramer. S.L. Kramer, you're back on the screens, no question about it. The soothing female voice announced, Command Floor 5. The doors parted and Piaget stepped out into the elevator bay. As he approached the registration desk across the reception hall, an incongruous whiff of food caught his nostrils, further stirring his stomach. Compass-like, his nose panned for the source. Immediately on entering Meteorology Central, his opinions concerning the sloppy management of the department had been reaffirmed. See to it that your mess area air screens looked at was Piaget's opening statement to the bewildered staffer at the security panel. Sorry, sir? Your air quality stinks, duty staffer. The air screen on the mess area is inoperative. I am recommending that you pass on this information to your maintenance section. The staffer craned her neck to look at the entrance to the mess area just round the corner, then ducked back to the commandant. Of course, sir. I'll enter that straight away. She bowed her head to address the terminal below the counter. Piaget interrupted this action, flattening his palm on the ID pad. Piaget, floor commandant, comms CF3. I need to see the supervising officer in Met Observation. Leave the maintenance for later and check me in now. Very good, sir, the terminal emitted a peep. You may enter. Please use gate 8. Do you know the way, sir? Thank you. Piaget was already halfway towards the security gate. Crossing the flux mat into the moving winch section of the department, Piaget found himself on a side mess above the top level of Command Floor 5. To his right was the glazed bow section, starkly monochromic in orange light from the sunset. Following the arc of the roof ribs back from the bow, the vast hall darkened and he could see the balcony rail silhouetted against the top edge of the enormous met screen which hung, all five levels high, in the trailing edge section of the command floor. Piaget made his way down, to, down onto the level and reached the balcony rail. He paused, leaning on the steelwork and took in the giant picture in front of him, a real-time satellite view of Metropolis 4 and about half the continent. Right over the Laura's depression was a huge brownish vortex. As he watched, text overlays appeared over the various weather systems, giving local pressure, wind speeds and temperature. Laura's recorded a 0.2 pressure, 240 km per hour winds and 30 degrees ground temperature. 
atrocious flying conditions, atrocious any kind of conditions, he'd go down to the screen monkeys and get them to do a zoom for him. Commandant Piaget! Kramer's voice, a little breathless, broke into Piaget's thoughts. I'm glad you're here, sir. I've been trying to reach you in your mobile. In your mobile? On your mobile? In your mobile, clearly. What the hell are you doing here, man? Why did you leave your station? Piaget wasn't going to let his anger just vanish, although he already suspected that Kramer, a cocky but competent officer, would have some rational explanation for his presence on the Met floor. Well, sir, I received a transmission from Lander 6. Very broken. Coton reported rapid weather deterioration and stated he was losing his navcoms. He gave me a position over Loris, then I lost him completely. And you chose not to relay this information to me? Piaget leant with his back onto the rail, arms outstretched along the curved top section. I was unable to reach you on Voicer, so I emailed a notification. I didn't receive it, Kramer. I don't understand that, sir. So why did you leave your traffic station? I went down to air traffic. I couldn't get them to send me a screen. They were having all sorts of trouble with the entire north and western sector navcoms. All the ground beacons were out. Still are, I think. And sat-nav was dropping out because of the mineral storms. I wanted to get some hard information for you, sir, before I contacted you again. This is Met Control Kramer. Air traffic is on CF1. The interrogation was broken by a paging announcement asking Kramer to go to Met Mapping. Sorry about this confusion, sir. I think Met Mapping has something for us. Piaget grunted an acknowledgement, nodded for the SL to lead the way, and followed him, zigzagging down the flights of stairs to level one. At the bottom of the stairs, Kramer led the way to a trench of monitor banks directly back from the centre of the massive Met screen, which now stretched above them like some huge graffiti-covered wall. Artificial light, artificial colour rendering had switched in to compensate for the onset of night. The weather cocktail swirled seductively. Piaget halted as Kramer dropped down the short flight of steps and approached an operative at one of the larger screens in the middle of the row. He touched the man on the shoulder and the latter turned round and nodded. Piaget saw the operative key in a command on the code pad as Kramer made his way back along the row of screen monkeys. The section leader has the last two hours met for us, sir. And he's got some infrared tracking, which he thinks could show us Lander 6. Piaget stepped past his subordinate and negotiated the steps down into the monitoring trench in a couple of strides. Behind him, Kramer felt the floor spring. The met mapping section leader was already running the weather history as Kramer caught up with his commandant. Take it from 1915, SL. That's our last transmission log from Lander 6. Piaget hulked over the operative's back, completely obscuring Kramer's view of the screen. Kramer edged around the pair to where he had sight of the display. Piaget's lump hammer face shone smooth in the reflective light, a flash from the dark pits below his brow, betraying a glance in Kramer's direction. The Met Mapper started his con- commentary pointing a strikingly long manicured forefinger at the screen. A typical gene-genie trait, Kramer could spot the sons of the rich bastards a mile off. This is Loris at 1915, 
and you can already see there's a massive pressure drop going on by the rapid cloud build. If I take it to 1925 and zoom out, you'll see that we've already completely lost the physical topography. The screen showed a great swathe of orange cloud covering the circular Loris depression. The Met Mapper continued. Then, just 10 minutes later, we see these anticyclones swinging around as they move to rush in to feel the low pressure, creating turbulence, which if you look at the bottom of the screen, is given as winds measured by our ground stations at between 180 and 250 kilometer per, kilometers per hour. Hurricanes. Piaget interrupted. You've got some infrared as well. Show me that. Correct, sir. Our infrared is primarily for ground temp, but a strong heat source such as a lander exhaust should give us a discernible trace. That is, as long as it's not running with shields on. Run it, man. I've seen these things before. What was that fix, Kramer? Kramer rattled out the coordinates. Give me a zoom on IR, as close as you can, at that location, at 20 hundred hours. One moment, sir. The Met Mapper winked at the screen and punched another code into his pad. The screen brightened into a mass of red. One moment, sir, I'll adjust the palette. The red shrank to clotted pools contoured by rippling oranges and yellows. And here's the topography. A green-toned mat unrolled under the paisley of the IR mapping. To the south, the new, the new mine's ridge was a dark olive fold. Give me a crosshair on the coordinates, Piaget couldn't see a thing. A white circle a centimetre across appeared in the centre of the bottom half of the screen. More zoom! Uh, Anderson, sir! The Met Mapper turned and virtually beamed at Piaget. The Commandant wanted his name. Kramer thought for a moment he was going to kiss the superior officer. After all, he was close enough. I can't get any more natural zoom, sir. I can go enhance, but it's less accurate. Do it, Anderson! The white circle bloomed to the edges of the monitor. In the centre was a tiny blue and white cluster of polygons. Bingo! That's L6. Piaget leant even closer, brushing Anderson's shoulder with his breast ID. I agree, sir, the Metamapper chimed in. Now run the scan from there at one-minute samples. Just two screens flashed up and the polygons vanished. The screen locked at 20.03. Kramer felt a jolt of deja vu. I'll try air traffic again, sir, he said, picking up the desk comm set. Piaget swept the crumbs from his trousers to join the scatter of debris building round the base of his chair. Quite unconsciously, but to the amazement of the duty flight officer in air traffic, He'd solidly gorged his way through two men's carbohydrate rations, the only thing 80 could offer at that time on a Friday evening. You enjoyed that, Commandant? Johnson, the duty FO, inquired. Sorry, I couldn't spare anyone to go down to the mess. Just something to fill me up a little, Johnson. As I said, first an exec assembly, first an exec assembly, and then this, no time to get a damn thing. The two men sat in the executive office on the mez above the air traffic floor. Through the full-height glazed partition, the controllers below were setting up redirects around the storm locked north and west of the city. It's a bad night. Never mind your own guys. I've not seen anything like this since we had the meteorite hit. 
I've lost another leader on the coast somewhere and there's a strata flight that can't come in. No sat-nav and too much crap in the air for air talk motors. It's heavy dust. My samplers give it all this heavy metal ore. It'll be those bastards and National Minerals blasting another strip. They haven't a clue what they're doing. No idea about the weather. I'm going to ground all of their stuff when this lot's over. Look, you can't even see the Electrocorp Tower from here. The eastern industrial quarter of M4 was unusually dark. Electrocorp's robotics tower was the landmark in the east. Lander pilots used it as their first visual fix when coming in from the wastelands. Oh yeah, sorry, nearly forgot. Your man Kramer voiced through. Asked me to tell you that your wife has called. She knows something's on. Kramer said that she that he'd explained that you're up to your ears. Is that Kramer, your mobiles man? Yes, a good offer, a good officer, good on initiative, gets off his ass and does things. Piaget replied. Now tell me about my lander. Is that the traffic log? Johnson had been leaning back in his chair, waving a printout as he gestured at the invisible electrocorp tower. Yep, it sure is. Pull your chair over and I'll take you through it. Johnson spread the plotted sheet out onto his desk, clicking away his workstation console. It retracted into the desktop. Now, this is the way I see it. Johnson was typical of the jocks who inhabited the flight sections of Metropolis 4's organisations. Outwardly casual, scruffy even, and with a manner to match. The flight officer, first class, was almost an exaggeration of that breed which was a petty annoyance to the corporate mentality running through the whole fabric of the city's organised society. The real problem with these people was that they, was that they were good. Piaget had never met one who didn't know his stuff. Hell, he'd even met women FOs who had impressed him. What disturbed Piaget about Johnson was that he felt he genuinely, he genuinely liked this man. He'd first met him at some exec assembly where Johnson had given a briefing on aerial surveillance of civil disturbances. It was a couple of years ago and he and Piaget had been given two sectors in M4's southeast, filthy underclass residentials. Johnson had come up to him after the meeting and had assured him that he could give him the crews who could get down below the building line. Technically illegal and dangerous space. Together, over the next months, they developed a cleanup strategy, which cleared more Azzy dens than in any other sector. Johnson's pilots would take the landers between air and traffic control and ground traffic control, giving Piaget's onboard anti-insurrection teams an, an opportunity to monitor and smash entire floors of dregs and anarchists in the Vaughan blocks. The Tenement Housing Schemes Virtually undetectable, these patrols were blind-eyed by both the air and the ground traffic authority. He got some trouble at first from ground security, but when they saw the tactic drove saw how the tactic drove the Azis out of the blocks into the lower, less secure hideouts, their kill rate put on pounds, and everyone was happy. He still worried about Johnson though. He never seemed interested in the kill rates. He just loved his landers if performing on the edge of their spec. Piaget had called in, in internal services to look at Johnson's flaky side, but called them off when they started an over, uh, started to over-investigate his work practices, threatening the Azzy clearance project. Johnson had now worked through the routine of Lander 6's outflight, 
The print showed a conventional search sweep over a section of the Loris Depression, mostly new territory for Piaget's comms monitoring teams. It's a long way out for your for your guys, Piaget, but no problem for the lander, though. My decrypt specialist, Coton, had got a good fix and went out there with Walker to nail it down. Walker knows Loris as well as anybody. He trained with National Minerals. He loves it out there. He's not really a city jock. Joined us just after I transferred from the southeast job. Piaget smiled at Johnson. That was some naughty project, Piaget. Do you know, I was getting some heavy internal services attention over that one. Really? Piaget's eyes flickered from Johnson's gaze. We were doing too good a job. I guess so, but not nice. Those internal slime balls gave me the creeps. They have their job, Johnson. You had nothing to fear, did you? Nothing they could find. The flight officer snored, snorted a laugh and shook his head. I worry about you, Piaget. Johnson brought his attention back to the printout. Now here's where things start to get a little funny. There were blank spaces in the plot of Lander 6's course. This is where we start to get some comms drop out. Probably heavy minerals blowing across the beacon paths. You see how the course goes intermittent and then we get this weird deviation. Then nothing. That's heavy weather. Look at the time on the Matrix. 1919. Four minutes after his last voice link. Now here I reckon that his navcoms have gone completely. Johnson swept his pointer in a curve from the lander's position. He hit some really fast air and has put on speed to avoid a stall. The lander goes with the wind trend and comes around in a shallow curve north instead of maintaining his straight line easterly course. He may even have lost the air, his airspeed indicator and not realised he was going so fast because to land up where your met guy loses him, 44 minutes later, he's way off where he should have been and he's got there more like a stratocruiser. Must be at least 750 kilometres per hour ground speed. So what's your conclusion, Johnson? Bad weather. Dust Jan Motors, Piaget. He'll be down where Met plotted him. Your alert will have terrestrial search and rescue out there by mid-morning, depending on the weather. I can't see it, but if these storms blow out by daybreak, we can have a lander out there too. I couldn't recommend a landing, though, not until I knew what the surface dust was like. We lost one a year ago on a similar recovery job. The pilot brought her down on what looked like a solid maser. The whole thing caved in. Took an electrocorp droid team a week to dig the machine out. The crew just suffocated. Piaget looked at the plot again. Why was Walker going east after he lost his sac- after he lost his navcoms? Your pilot knew the wastelands, Piaget. He was fl- he was flying purely on visual, and he knew that if he could get a better angle and find some clear air, he could pick up a Metropolis Mirage and get a good idea of where he was. I've seen the mirages on a media flick, Piaget commented. How reliable are they? There's several places where you can get them, Piaget. If some, if conditions are right, and if you know your way around, they're good enough to show the way home. Your pilot, Walker, was going for a long shot, but it was probably the best he had.
Chapter 2 The air talk motor was an elegant feat of engineering. A descendant of the old jet engines that had first given man the freedom of the sky centuries before. In its simplest form, the ATM was a series of turbines and compression chambers which sucked in air at one end and blasted it out at the other, by which time it was moving very fast and had reached a very high temperature. The amount of thrust developed was governed by venting the compression chambers and allowing cooler air to slow the whole process. ATMs were very efficient, requiring no fuel other than air itself. The dense air planets of the Einsam archipelago were particularly suited to ATM power travel, the atmosphere offering high aerodynamic buoyancy and an optimum gas balance. In clean air, the ATM was unsurpassed for medium speed slash distance mobility. Oh shit, that's no mirage, it's a genuine dust wall. Walker, the pilot, pulled the lander into a steep climb, throwing Coton away from the comms terminal hard back into his seat. Coton leant forward against the acceleration, bringing his head level with the pilot's shoulder. He caught Walker's eye as the pilot glanced back to check on his intelligent officer's status. Walker's tone was fevered as he continued, responding to Coton's unspoken demand for more information. You know I said that we chase a metropolis mirage and get a top fix pretty easily? Well, we've screwed up. Correction, Walker. Okay, I've screwed up. The stall warning alarm blipped and flickered as the pilot held the lander at the limit of its climb rate. Intermittent thuds through the airframe settled into a rhythmical drumming, announcing the craft's contact with the pressure wave generated by the looming dust wall. We'll be into powder any second if we don't crest this baby. Walker was now thinking out loud. His commentary needed no lucid response. He just needed a reply to assure him he wasn't alone. Right! Coden barked the reply as this would somehow discharge the apprehension flashing between the two men. We're not gonna make it! Walker was croaking through clenched teeth. He kicked a footload of right rudder through the control paddle. The lander hung for a second, then lurched greasily into a full stall, nosing towards the scratched desert plain below. Coton had been on decret for three months. He was good at it. It was like reading music. He could listen to a transmission, watch a waveform, and have a picture of the sender running his hands across a keypad or cross-patching a scramble box. They could compress or interpolate all they liked, there was always a fundamental rhythm to be felt. The new colour stuff was the was good though. It was an adaptation of a system used by the internals, specially designed to merge with the security service's own code. The internal guys even bounced it around for the for the Azis, beaming messages onto the required sector. A lovely system, elegant cheek. Coton had managed to crack the random palette sector selector almost by chance he'd been doing a little research and had found an ancient prime number generator used for testing early computer types it was basic but quality maths take a 29 digit prime number find another splice them with simple arithmetical arithmetical code the key function and use it as a palette address from the millions available he never touched his vector scope to frame match like the internals completely up the wrong alley. Hours of processing. Once he'd cracked the colour code, though, things began to get dull. He was turning into a desk jock. All the other decrypt guys 
would just feed him stuff. He'd turn it around, then sit back and wait for the field report. When the reports came in, he'd find that the field teams had completely missed the source. Something was missing. The Dumbos on the landers weren't following through. They were lazy sons of bitches. Give them a few vectors and off they went. They never cross-checked, never looked for patterns or red herrings. He'd memoed Piaget up on the mez, told him he needed to check his field team's ops methods, but the big guy was only interested in getting his promotion out, out of there. Piaget was going to feel some heavy exec assembly download before that happened, though. When Walker came over to his workstation that Friday morning, intelligence officer John Coden was in the process of reviewing his weekend plans. He was off hours for the first weekend in the month, always the best one to get. Everyone in the central district had a full credit float and there was plenty of life in the real clubs. Hey, Coton, you're another eight hours before real time. Walker dropped down in, into the decrypt pit and perched himself onto the, pushed on the ergo, on the ergo seat next to Coton's preferred standard tilt and swivel. You'll be dropping prod codes in a minute. You know the old man monitors the lean rate on those exec chairs. Get out, Walker. I'm out of prod code range by Wednesday every week. I'm the only guy on the whole floor that actually goes positive every month. Don't forget Kramer. League leader, ears, eyes, and nose of CF3, Walker interjected. Kramer's all admin. I'm talking about intelligence work. You know using both sides of your brain at the same time, Coton raised an eyebrow at the flight officer. Walker ignored the reply cue and leant across Coton's workstation. He stroked an entry code into the blank palm pad. Here's some intelligence for you, cop. We've got a new subnet. Take a look at this. A new icon appeared on the row on the bottom of Coton's screen. A small skull and crossbones. Very original, Walker. Whose is that? Dunno, go on, open it. Walker was winking crazily. You've been doing too many nights, Walker. That's a terrible twitch you've got there. Open the damn box, Coton. Coton winked at the icon and, the, and a menu appeared. At the bottom of the standard list were two additions, contacts and nightlife. Coton smirked at Walker and opened the nightlife box. There was one entry. Real club as social. What the hell's that? Look where it is, Cot. Look at the link number. Walker was jigging up and down on the backless ergo seat like a circus sea mammal. That's Industry 2, Dodge City. You want to go, don't you? Coton had turned back to Walker. Walker hushed and flipped up the comms monitor audio. Then he got up and leant over the main screen, hissing under the data wash. Two guys from flight went there last week. Too good. No Cybies, no Holomorph crap. Real booze. It's a real, real club. They've got everything. Coton cleaned the screen with another wink and hissed back at Walker. You're mad. Two guys from comms monitoring going to a place like that? Hell, we finished the night in a garbage tube. They can sniff big mix of dudes a mile off. Think about it, man. There's everything, absolutely the works. Coton killed the audio. He had spotted section leader Kramer coming down the walkway. Walker str straightened from the screen and turned in to follow Coton's eye. Kramer skipped into the pit. I see a perfect team, gentlemen. 
I was just saying the name to Coton SL. Walker patted the intelligent officer on the back. Oh, you've received the latest source rangings then, sir. No, Kramer. Walker's just being his usual presumptuous self. Coton had adopted his superior officer's tone, wary, wary of Kramer's sometimes over-familiar style. What have you got? A new transmission from up country. Smack on the middle of your old country. Walker, the Loris Depression. Walker sat himself back down on the ergo seat and cocked his head at Kramer. You sure? That's a hell of a way out for our Azzy buddies. Which sector? I have a scan which suggests Central. They're putting out VHF, loud and proud. You know Loris, Kramer? One beautiful big mixing pot. Your ranging could be miles out. Well, Mr. Walker, I have a lovely signal with regular ghosting, and I'm sure that I.O. Coton will back me up. It shows all the signs of coming right out of the middle of the depression. Coton lit the comms monitor and scanned for the Loris depression. He read the multi-display and confirmed Kramer's hypothesis. Looks very clean. These guys are out in the open somewhere. The coordinates stack up. It could be an easy hit for anyone who gets out there. He paused. I'd like to know what the hell they're putting out, though. Something long-range? I don't really understand why they'd be transmitting so strongly. Obviously beyond the, the Loris rim. Source and solution action. So, sorry. Source and solution action, Coton. Walter, Walker cut in. Time to stretch your legs, I guess. Finish the week on a high note. Get Piaget off our backs. Give the ungrateful bastard some promotion points. Walker's due out, sir, and this is the best TR we've had this morning. Kramer thoughtfully ran his finger around the monitor, moulding as he spoke. Probably the best we'll get all day, sir. Coton's curiosity had been aroused, and it was a long time since he'd been out on field team activities. Kramer, he also knew, was under a lot of pressure from the floor commandant. The whole floor was. He, Coton, was up to date with all the de the desk decrypt stuff, and the blast out over the wastelands would certainly be a welcome end to the week. Moreover, Walker was damn good, not one of those crazy ravine jocks that had scared the shit out of him on the re residential clearing ops. Okay, for the honour of CF3, I'm in. Clear it with Piaget, Kramer, while I get down to flight. Very good, sir. I'll get you on the field ops board. Kramer knew that Piaget never really checked the ops crew lists. He would find his moment in the course of the morning to tell the floor commandant that his lead decrypt specialist was out on field ops. If he was going to have any objection, Coton would probably be already homing in on the TR. It'd work out okay. Coton was number one. Down in flight, the lander bays were all empty apart from slot six. Walker and Coton had come nearly the entire, the entire circumference of the big mixer tower to find the last available craft. Hell, how was I to know we were going to get L6? I've been flying L1 all this cycle. Anyway, the walk will do you good. Coton, your ass has been hardening up, sitting at that station these past months. You could at least have got the right elevator, Walker. I just wanted to get away from that, ro that roster staffer 
Sorry, F.O. Walker, I have no listing for your intelligence officer on my ops list. Shitwit admin jock, what the hell's Kramer been doing all this time? Goddamn SLs, they're all society plants. Gene genies. What his father do? Super senior exec, sex services, chairman of Electrocorp. Coton interrupted Walker's spleen venting. Kramer's okay. He's a career guy. I don't think his folks, folks could even afford a look at a gene map. His old man's some kind of tech manager in a theme park. He's off the, the ball this morning, cop. I don't need that crap from the roster dudes. They'll have us all doing, they'll have us doing all sorts of report shit when we get back. And we need to be out on the town tonight, brother. Fresh and early. Forget the real, real club idea. I, I told you it was a bad plan. Just listen to your intelligence officer and don't worry about Kramer. I'll voice him from the lander. L6 sat in its park slot, still hooked to the service gantry, while two maintenance droids clicked and whirred along the walkway around the waist of the ship. A maintenance staffer stod- stood at a monitoring console watching their, watching their progress. Walker swung away from Coton and spoke to the staffer. Should I be nervous, Ralph? Walker's eye hadn't left the droids. Hell no, Mr. Walker. These are Electrocorp's finest. We've been running them for the past two weeks on L6. Just basic stuff. They're cute little workers. How basic is basic stuff, Ralph? Just routine, sir. Cleaning, inventory, connecting umbilicals. Look at Droid 1 with that electrostat on the front screen. He's programmed to polish it until he can see his own retinas in the reflection. You are joking. Well, kind of. But they do have some sort of OptiSensor system which lets them know when the job's right. We've had no complaints. What do you think, Coton? The intelligence officer had joined them at the console. They're good. I've seen these models at Electrocorp. Uh, They've got a combat droid based on this system type. I think we're ready for your pre-flight, Mr. Walker. Droid 2's dropping the umbilicals. My values on the console are all good. The maintenance staffer scrolled the check screen as he spoke. Walker scaled the the gantry ladder as the two droids retreated round the far side of the ship to their docking point. The pilot started at the rear of the ship, checking the ATM's intake filters. Coton moved under the belly of the craft and climbed through the crew hatch. While Walker made the external visual checks, the most important 50 meters you'll ever walk, as it said in the flight manual, up and down both sides of the craft, Coton booted the the comm systems, everything checked out 100%. Some minutes later, the hatch seals hissed, announcing Walker's entry. His face appeared over the comms console, set in a ridiculous smile. He swept a flattened hand over his face in an, exagger- in an exaggerated movement, wiping the smile and replacing it with, insa- in- with inane blankness. Uttering a mechanical growling, he rose to his full height in a passable droid imitation and strutted his way to the front of the cockpit and settled in the pilot's seat, laughing. Droids away, Coton! He gave a wave to the maintenance staffer through the side window and the gantry lifted, clearing the view ahead to the slowly opening exit port in the side of the tower. The lander rocked gently as the skid and skid anchors engaged and the docking platform carried the craft towards the exit port. Walker switched in the turbine spin and preheat. 
the heavy current hum woke the airframe and Coton felt his stomach flutter in sympathy. One and two, Walker announced the turbines as they ran up to speed. The oxygen injectors snapped open. Coden watched the rev counters catapult as the gas hit the turbine blades with a twangling, twanging whine. The docking platform was now locking outside the cliff face of the security services tower, while the roar of the turbine slammed hammering, oscillating echoes against the blasting wall. The docking panel indicators flashed green. Walker's intercom cut through the din. Oxy off. Compression. Combustion. Lift thrust 40k. Release. The lander dipped momentarily as it left the platform, then pitched back as Walker wound on the power, and the craft surged away from the big mixer. 150k on one and two in less than half a second. This baby's got new ceramics, sweet little ATMs. Walker's voice whooped over the, the intercom. Coton replied, I've been checking the log. Complete new main turbines one and two. 50 hours back, you crazy bastard. You do that every trip, don't you? What? Coton bellowed. Check the maintenance log back to the last motor refit, you suspicious mother. Well, I can't ask the hostess, can I? Walker banked the lander into a steep climbing turn and exchanged the course code with air traffic. Coton could see the big mixer below moving across the cabin window frames like an animation flick. The smog haze was just building over Industry 1, the prevailing wind marshalling it in a wedge-shaped wave, driving the, the filth west towards the central district. Coton turned his attention back to the comms console and put in a link to Kramer. The SL's face flashed up on the personal monitor. Good morning again, sir. I was watching you clear on AT. No thanks to you, Kramer. What happened to the entry on the field ops list? Sorry, sir, there was some delay. FC Piaget was logged onto the list when I got back to my station. He'd just run a full print for an exec assembly and I didn't want him to have to change it. Well, Flight Officer Walker's after your ass, Kramer. He was getting some grief from the flight roster staffer. No record of yours truly. It was only Walker using some of his very expensive persuasion technique that got us up here. He now owes Flight Op 1. Ergo, you owe Walker one cubed. Sort it out, or I can accurately predict some kind of ass and sling scenario ensuing. Compré? Crystal, Mr. Coton. Don't worry. Tell F.O. Walker it's in hand and please pass on my sincere apologies. Kramer paused and waved the data cart. I'm uploading the Loris transmission data on the sat link, sir. You'll have it any time now. Thank you, Kramer. I'll let you know if it's dirty. Speak to you at 1200. Out. As the lander leveled at its cruiser height, the comms console twittered the download. Coton switched on in the nav comparator and watched the Loris depression build across the screen. Was that Kramer on the personal? Walker called back from the, co from the cockpit. He'd backed off the throttles. And the new crew deck was quiet against the dull rumble of the ATMs. He extends his sincere apologies, flight officer. Administrational difficulties. He'll be extending more than that when I see him. 
but Walker's face betrayed no malice as Coton flicked on the personal and caught him on vision. You're full of shit, Walker. I'm putting the TR data through on your onto your nav panel. I'll come up and hold your hand. Coton climbed from the comms pit and joined Walker on the flight deck, snapping into the number two seat. The lander was now over the northern edge of, of M4. They were crossing the weather walls, a series of ramp structures that protected the city limits from the shifting dunes in the summer and the snows in winter. Over the last century, T1 Creda's weather had worsened measurably, polarizing into a hot, dry summer season and a bitterly freezing winter. Super storm force, super storm force winds regularly lashed the low-lying northern city fringe and carried the seasonal debris, smothering the residential Vaughan blocks. The, the weather walls and the traps between them were routinely cleared throughout the year. Coton watched the dozers sitting, stitching red scores of fresh turned sand against the bleach herringbone lines of the defences. How's the Met for today? I want to run it over the nav panel. Looks fine. A couple of anti-cyclones to watch. Quite normal for this time of year. Walker cross-patched the Met data so that it patterned over Coton's TR plot. Straight on, driver. Is that new mines coming up? Ghosting cut. That's a, that's a mirage. We'll get the ridge bursting through the haze in about 10 minutes. Coton settled down to observe this phenomenon, fixing his eyes on the shimmering brown strip. The comms monitor ticked on the, on the open VHF frequency. Walker announced their arrival at the new mine's ridge with a sharp pull on the control column, automatically blasting the throttles. Coton just caught a glimpse of the hard brown on the escarpment, splashing through the haze as the soft curve of the lander's climbing nose interrupted his view. Heavy wind rotor on the edge, Walker spoke, holding his gaze on the altimeter. Did you feel that tremor just then? That stuff will smack you in like an insect if you don't get some height. Thanks for the warning, Coton replied, his stomach just returning to its customary location. 5,000. Passengers may smoke, Walker smiled at Coton. There you are, the beautiful Loris Depression. Did I tell you there was smoke at that club? Can the real, real club... Can can the real, real club idea, Walker? I am not going to risk my ass, career, my freaking life for a night out with you in industry two. End of story. End of transmission. I'm going to admire your beautiful depression. Okay. Cradled by the ragged arms of the new mine's ridge, which now arced away into the distance on either side of the lander, the depression swept out onto the vague, the vague horizon. It was featureless, save for the ancient scarring of mineral extraction, softened by centuries of, du of heavy dust sweep. Walker played the lander across the waste, enjoying the crisp new ATMs as Coton watched its shadow scudding across the geology through the floor observation prism. Its progress was effortless, distorting and snapping back into shape like some strange beetle. He had gazed 50 minutes away when sharp data snap from the comms monitor broke into his fascination. Ho, ho, ho! It's Azzy Radio time. Cut man all consoles. You bet, grunted Coton. 
rating himself from the deep number two seat. I can see the logger going crazy already. The comms console was already issuing a search scan permutation as Coton slipped the headset over his ears. He immediately detected some other signal behind the VHF he was expecting. You got that course perm walker? 330 degrees. 7, 8 point, uh, two clicks? On the dial already, I.O., you're not quite as quick as the nav feed. Coton looked at the multi-scan and clamped his hands over the headset to concentrate on the noise under the prime signal. He could see a tiny peak a tiny peak on the light compression wave. God damn, we've got some shielded light compression. What's on ground scan, Walker? Zippo cut. Only National Minerals 40 clicks southwest, and that's always been there, way off your TR source. How far off from the search sweep are we? I'm going to change the sensor heads. As he spoke, Coton unclicked from the comms pit seat and reached up to the overhead locker. Five minutes. Give me... Coton broke his intended request for more time as his eye fell on the empty clips that should have held the light compression sensor heads. How much, Cot? Walker turned back to look at Coton. What's up? There's no freaking LC heads in the locker. You check the tech log? Of course I checked the freaking tech log. It was 100%. Coton began to rattle open the other lockers and the rest of the kit checked out. See if, see if you can voice up Kramer. We're going into the search sweep anyhow. As the lander climbed to the scan altitude, Coton sat back at the comms console and logged in a report code. As there was no voice link available. Not unusual for Loris, but the beginning of a suspicion nagged at Coton as he hammered an urgent request for clarification on the keypads. Kramer's reply flashed back on the screen, declaring no knowledge of the missing LC sensor heads, but promising prompt navigation. Coton cursed the blank, the bland syntax of the message and concentrated back on the ASI VHF. Walker was going into guidebook of the Loris depression mode <laughs> from the cockpit. The ship was, an, was on auto and he was bored. Your mysterious Meza was three hours back, you boring old bastard. Are we going round in circles? Cone had been feeding Walker intermittent results in order to keep him company. Or was it to keep him awake? Whatever. The light compression vestige was still present and the VHF was coming in now and again, but it seemed to have no real form. They were certainly now closer to the source, but the stuff wasn't telling Coton anything, nor was Kramer, as all his returns on the absent LC heads were negative. Coton would be joining Walker in a Kramer ass-kicking session when they got back home. Weather's dirtying up some, Coton. I'll give it two more sweeps, then we'd better wrap it. As Walker took the lander back onto manual, Coton felt the, sh felt the ship yaw. The action seemed to trigger a node on the ground scan. Take us round to 120, Walker. I think we've got something. Coton peered back at the dunes rippling in the exhaust wash, and as unpromising as all the other million. The lander was burning a crystal trail through the rising dust eddies over Loris. Flying at the scan altitude, 
the wash was clear to see from a good 20 kilometres by any observer in the dunes. We have the lander at 280, 17 clicks. Do we hit him, sir? The weapons master's officer was standing at the opening of the canopy over the test station, holding the front half of a dust helmet over his face. Without dropping his gaze on the horizon, he replied to his NCO, No, they have visual contact. We'll send them a final mission, we'll find a final message from their comms officer. If we get no response, we will see. Our work is nearly finished and we don't need any extra complication. The officer paused and turned back to the weapons master, rubbing his eyes. The weather may well be the best screen we have. This damn sand is building to a storm condition. The officer walked back into the dark of the, dark of the tenting, past a stack of droid cases, and climbed down into the half-buried command shell. Walker now had the lander off the scan pattern and was following Coton's course. They had dropped to 500 feet to reduce unfriendly visual detection, and the craft buffeted on the waves of hot air sweeping up from the dunes. This is getting a bit wild, Coton. These boomers are fl- flipping us all over the freaking place. Just a few more clicks. Just a few more clicks, Walker. Come on, you azzy bastards. Give us another TR. A met warning from Kramer underlined the screen, demanding a mission abort. Walker called back to Coton. You got that, Coton? Kramer's doing his job. Actually got an accurate, an accurate met report. Keep going, Walker. Any minute now. Coton voiced a message to the Satlink buffer. It would get back to Kramer and hold him off. Once they pulled a bit more altitude, he just clicked the auto encrypt when the lander winged sharply to the right. A blast of white light from the port view prism behind him, bleaching out the the crew deck. Holy shit, Walker! Pulse fire. Walker was in no position to answer. Coton could see his upper body wrenching the control column to pull the lander out of the rapid slide strip a, sl- a slide slip another flash terminated directly ahead of them get your ass up here coton i can't see a thing coton gripped the edge of the comms console and flung himself up and across the crew deck the vent system choked him with a hard noseful of burning something or other walker had the lander on full power and climbing as he made it to the number two seat just hold her steady, Cot. I'll be all right in a minute or two. Freaking light compression means pulse fire capability. That was military shit down, down there. What the hell are they playing at? Just steady. We're yawing like hell and I can't seem to correct. Leave the rudder, Cot. Back off on the stick and get her level. What's our altitude? 2.5. Okay, ease off. Relax. The motors are fine. Now just hold the horizon. There is no freaking horizon. It's all gone orange. Coton peered ahead but couldn't make out a single detail. Better than me, Cot. It's all gone bloody red. Read the artificial... The artificial horizon in the middle of the panel, you dork. Coton hadn't flown lander for over two years and he needed some practice. He also now noticed that there was no, there were no auto systems available and no navcoms. He hadn't a clue where they were or which direction they were going in. He held the lander level, 
while Walker fumbled with the first aid pack and bathed his eyes. When Walker finally managed to get some vision back, they were rocketing down what looked to Coton like some kind of spinning tube of smoke, and the collision strobes on the wing stubs pulsed their progress through the vortex, making his headache. Walker reached out from his seat, his head still tilted back, and flicked off the lights from the nav panel. Thank God! I thought it was me! You'll have us tripping out if you keep those things on. Give me control! Coton relaxed on the column and switched the pilot and watched the pilot trim the throttles to straighten the craft. We need to get out of this dirt fast, Cot. The ATMs won't take too much of this powder. We should be able to pull above this stuff and get some clean air and some freaking topography. Coton climbed out of the number two seat and crouched by Walker's shoulder. I'll get I'll get back and see if I can get something out of the, the comms console. You okay now, Walker? Get in there, Cot. No problem, we've still enough time to get out of this and to get a top fix or pick up a mirage. Piaget was surprised when he heard that L6 had been located by an Electrocorp field test outfit. Nobody seemed to have known they were operating in Loris, not that far out anyway. When he did a check on the movement records though, there was a full security coded log. Coton was a big loss. The field medics had him stable but he was smashed to bits. There was no trace of Walker, rather like Kramer, but the section leader's absence was more understandable. He would wish he was dead after he'd surfaced to answer for this disaster. That was quite something. I don't think I've ever read anything like this in my life, and I certainly wasn't expecting that. So, <laughs> I guess we're almost at the bit where Coton gets turned into Cyborg. They've gone a bit Robocop there. Um, but, yeah, uh, I enjoyed having a little read of that. Uh, that's only about a tenth of the book. So... Should I keep doing this is the question. Um, hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, if you've got this far and you enjoyed it, please let us know. 
if there's a deathly silence, I'll know never to do this again. Uh, or maybe I'll, I'll do it as a nice something for our patrons. But anyway, um, I hope if anyone has listened to the end of this, I hope you've enjoyed it and maybe see you next time or maybe just see you on a normal arcade attack podcast. So it's good night from just me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcadeattackuk. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews, and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon.